Well, greetings, downtown church from Second Presbyterian Church. As Aaron told you guys, I've been here before. My name is Michael Davis, and I'm a pastor at uh, Second Presbyterian Church. I did my first uh, internship here in Memphis and at downtown church as well. So it is good to see some familiar faces and new faces. You guys may have heard me say that again. But it is always good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. If you believe that God is amazing, just put your hands together and give him a praise. The worship was so good, I didn't know if we were going to drum up that old pipe organ up there. I mean, Sister Christmas did an amazing job with her her uh, team, and it is always a privilege and an honor to open God's Word. And as we look at this passage, let me give you a brief understanding and context of where we are. Uh, I think our worship services set us up to see how big God is and how amazing he, he is. And in doing so and understanding that, we can look at, well, where were the disciples? We see in the previous verses that the disciples were on a mission trip. Jesus had given them the power and authority to heal to cast out demons, to proclaim the kingdom of God to those that were lost and that were seeking and did not know, uh, did not know who Jesus was. And truly, the disciples didn't understand fully who he was until you get to uh, verse 20. But seeing this, what happens is the disciples are doing amazing work, and they have no money, they have no food, they don't have anything with them. Why? It is intentional, so they can solely be dependent on the power and authority of Jesus Christ. But all the work that they've been doing so far has given them a great amount of attention directly towards Jesus. Herod, King Herod, he says, I thought I beheaded John. The Baptist already, who is this man? And so he was trying to figure out what was all the fuss about in the towns and in the villages in which this work was being done. But we get to our particular scene. In our narrative, we see that the disciples get to Jesus, and what they do is they give him a report. And as we see him giving this report, this is interesting because the disciples, we would think, would be extremely excited, which I think they were, but they were also exhausted. But before we dive directly into our text, please pray with me. Father, we thank you and we bless you because you are God who continuously to show yourself amazing and to be strong. And Lord Jesus, we ask now that you be with us and be in the presence of this house. I pray that the words of my mouth and the, uh, the, the, the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight uh, and the things in my, in my heart as well. You are our rock and our redeemer. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. As I was studying this text, what came to my mind consistently was this thought and the question. And I always kind of come to the text with somewhat of a question. And that is, is Christ enough? Is Christ enough? Is he really all sufficient? Is Christ enough? Is the person in the work of Christ, have you ever asked yourself this question? Is it enough? Is Christ truly all-sufficient and all-powerful, or is he indifferent? Is he lackadaisical? I think the questions allow us to think about, oftentimes in moments of doubt and uncertainty, we can ask ourselves, is he enough? I mean, think about it for a moment. You may think that he is not enough simply because of the phase of life that you're in that you are not married yet or you have not uh, 
gotten the career or walked into the job opportunity. And so that phase of life for you is, is so hard and is so tough. You, you right now, you don't think that Jesus is enough. I deal with a lot of couples and I see infertility and I know that it is hard to be excited for those that have children when you have not yet had your own. And so the question can come up, is God enough to bless me with a child? When we look at our own crises in our society or in the nation, we see terrorist attacks and we see the refugee crisis. We can ask ourselves, is God enough in order to stop the evil that we see in our society? Is he, um, is he big enough? Can he, can he work in these particular situations? But I think we can also ask the, the question when we think about the racial strife or when we think about the unemployment rate and other things in our society to where we come to the question consistently, is he enough? I think this is where the disciples are. I think the disciples have seen Jesus do power. In fact, he's given them power and authority, but yet they are asking the question of can he provide? Is he enough to feed 5,000 men? Can he do this? I think we can relate to them because of this lack of faith. We see that they don't realize that the person in the work of Jesus Christ is not just sufficient for that moment. Within his sovereignty, he's sufficient for every moment. He is enough. We know that to some degree. We understand that. And there may be a situation where we understand it from an intellectual perspective, but yet when moments are rocky, we don't understand it from a practical sense. I think in our daily lives, we can relate to him. But let me assure you that he is not just enough, but he does exceedingly and abundantly above all that we can think or ask. He is a God that can fill this room, but not just this room. He is a God that fills the world. And not the world, but he fills the outer space. The world in which we don't understand in the incomparable aspects of, of the solar system that blows our minds. He is the one that can fill it. I mean, we can go back to Genesis and one. We can see that he's not just one that sits high and looks low. But he is the creator of all things. So in understanding this, what happens is we have to ask ourselves, we've engaged Christ. He's engaged us with what? Compassion. He's had compassion on us. And when we see his compassion, we see it through the work of the cross. We know this. So here's the question that I want us to answer. How does God's compassion inform our daily lives as Christians? How does the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ, how does the cross and the compassion that we see from the cross affect us? Particularly in this passage, how how does his compassion for those, the crowd that come to him, how does it inform the way that we think about our Christian walk? As we look at the miracles... And this miracle, what I want us to keep in mind is this. The grand vision of Christ and the miracles shouldn't just simply be one that amaze us. But it should move our hearts and it should move our feet. Get, I want you to track with me when I'm saying that 
Because when it moves us, two points, we see here that Christ's compassion should compel us to look to the needs of others. Verses 10 through 15. And then his compassion should also increase our faith. Verses 16 and 17. When we look at the first one, we see in this particular passage that there is a cosmic redemption, a cosmic restoration that goes beyond our comprehension. I want us to know that it is lofty, it is big, but I want us to also know that he is a God that meets every need of ours. So looking at our first point, Christ's compassion for us should compel us to look to the needs of others. John Stott, in his commentary series, he says this, The needs of the Lord's people are being met by the ministry and the service of the Lord's people. The needs of the Lord's people are being met by the ministry and the service of the Lord's people. We can see two things here in terms of the needs that are being met. First of all, we see that there is a physical need, and we also see that there is a spiritual need that is being met. And when we look at this, what happens is, in the particular passage, we can see, as the disciples, they give their testimony and reports of what's happened. Jesus says, I'm going to take you to Bethsaida for rest and privacy. We understand that when Jesus goes for rest and privacy, he typically prays, he refuels himself. So I can only imagine that the disciples were thrilled that they can get away in this place. And being the good shepherd that he is, he understands where they are, right? He doesn't put too much. We've, we've heard this. I always heard it in the, in the old church where the mother of the church would say he won't put more on, the, more on you than you can bear. But think about this for a moment. And as the good shepherd, the crowd follows them. And as they go into this private place, into Bethsaida, which is actually the home of Andrew, Peter, and Philip, this area, which is a small uh, fishing village, is actually also where he healed uh, the blind man, and also where he cursed the town because they rejected him. This is also, you see him feeding the 5,000. I mean, he's already done work in this particular area. So as they go across to Bethsaida, you see the large crowd follows them. You ask the question, why do they follow him? Because of the previous verse. Because he is popular at this time for what the work that he is doing. But I want you to pay attention to the first thing that he does. He welcomes them. This wasn't just a, just a greeting, but this was compassion. As Matthew and Mark's gospel tells the same account, they said, Jesus had compassion on the crowd. Have you ever driven down the street and you've seen the homeless man standing on the corner, and one thing in your mind was, oh, he doesn't need any money, or my money won't help him, so you continue to drive. Or do you look at the Memphis Union Mission and have compassion on the brothers and sisters that walk into that mission looking for assistance? Do you think about those areas in our city, and particularly the ministry partners that we have as well here in the city? Do we look and have compassion on the individuals that we serve? I think this was a struggle for the disciples. I legitimately think this was a struggle for them. And here, listen to this, that when Jesus tells them, the first thing that he tells them is the kingdom of God is at hand. He tells them about the kingdom of God. This was a a cornerstone piece of his ministry. And what is the kingdom of God? It, It is some theologians that would say that it is the kingdom of God is the first place. It is first placed in our hearts spiritually as the future blessedness. Not to be spiritualized, it is a biblical hope rooted in incarnation and resurrection. 
It is creational, this worldly, physical, uh, invisible, bodily hope. It, 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 let, me, let me boil it down. And brothers and sisters, I know y'all are looking at me, but I think I told y'all the last time I was here, I need three or four amens to know that I have somebody that's agreeing with me. Amen, somebody. Hey, thank you, babe. This hope, this kingdom of God, this future blessedness is placed first in our hearts, but not to be over-spiritualized, but we hope for that cosmic restoration and that cosmic redemption. But let me boil it down. When we look at the newspaper and we see that children at the age of two years old are dying from gun violence, there is a hope. Are you tracking with me? There is a hope that one day our children won't suffer from that. When we look at the brothers and sisters that go hungry and that have nothing to eat, our hope is that even though they have nothing now, that one day their hearts will be fulfilled. Uh, let me say this, that the, pla- the plagues that we see in our communities from different things, we can hope that they won't run rampant with drugs and run rampant with crime, that even in our own city, in our own community, we can have hope and that the shalom will one day come in its fullness. think that even as I've looked at the paper over the time, we can see that what happens in our city are things that happen and at times we can feel overwhelmed. But do we look at the crowd like Jesus looks at the crowd? They are sheep without a shepherd. This alludes to Psalms uh, 23 where he says that he is a shepherd. And no one should want. The children of God will not want because he's a shepherd that can satisfy. He's big enough that he is able. He's big enough. He's able to supply every need. He's able to do abundantly and exceedingly above all that we can think or ask. And this is what he brings to a people who are sick and afflicted, who have been oppressed and beaten down. Because these sheep without a shepherd have a kingdom that will once come. But I think the disciples struggled with that. Because the disciples didn't have the entire picture of what they were preaching. Oftentimes, we, as a preacher, I get to the text and I want to exhaust it from an exegetical and theological standpoint. But yet I can't exhaust the text because even Jesus says the mysteries of the text, of of what he's done, are far beyond what's written here. There's no way that even my mind can wrap around it. So... As I was thinking about it, how can they not understand the kingdom of God, but yet preach it? It's because they didn't understand it in its fullness. And that day will once come. But listen, as we look at the scene, we see that time being the essence for them, what happens? Jesus, right now people have to, people got to go. They got to go find lodging and food somewhere else. We're tired. I'm glad that you healed them. I'm glad that you were able to tell them a couple things, but but they're tired. Let them go ahead and go. And what did Jesus say? You, that's a key word, you give them something to eat. Well, we know that Jesus is actually testing them because John 5 and 6, we see he asked Philip to give him something to eat. And Philip says, 
We, we, all we have is five loaves and two fishes. We can't, two fishes, excuse me, I'm getting this. Two fish, please, don't trick my grandma on it. Uh, two fish. And so when we look at, when he, when he says this, <laughs> come on, you just sent us out with any, no food, no money, only one tunic is what we were supposed to bring, no bag, nothing. We slept in other people's homes. How are you expecting us to feed 5,000 men? That's, that's impossible. Essentially is what he was saying. But John says this in his account that he was testing Philip. Ah, why is he testing him? Because even though that in a moment in which they see sick, afflicted, and hungry people, they, don't, they, aren't, they aren't compassionate for them. They just want the needs to be met. What I tell a lot of people that we serve in our particular communities, our young adults, I say, listen, if we go to the Orange Mounds and the Bing Hamptons and we go to other areas in our community and these families are not a part of our family, what happens is we aren't connecting nor are we compassionate. We only do something for a moment. My point is this. Is as Jesus sees the crowd and as he is trying to move his disciples, what we understand is, is that he wants them to see more than just the five loaves and the two fishes. <laughs> I said it again, two fish. He wants them to see what their greatest need is. So Philip says this, we only have 200 denarii, which is seven months wage earned wages. Now, I would have confessed if Jesus would have asked me to give my seven months wages to somebody, I, I, I would have to pray Ashes and sackcloth, and I would need lightning to strike and a cloud of rain to follow me in order for me to do that. So I can understand what Brother Philip is. I I don't have seven months wages to feed all of these people. You may have seven months wages to feed all of these people, Philip, but you have Jesus, the one that is the provider, the one that is able To do exceedingly and abundantly. So what is he doing? Trying to move them from the compassion that they've had from him. Compel them to have compassion on someone else. It is hard to look to the needs of other people. For those that are married, you know it's always hard to look to the needs of your spouse. Because you're always thinking about your own self. But what Jesus is trying to move them to see is that he is the one that can provide from them. But I think we can relate. Because many of us at times, we don't think that Jesus can provide. I mean, we see the opioid crisis in the state of Tennessee, that people are dying from more overdose than they are from violence. We see that in our society that people have unemployment over and over again, and they are struggling. And so we're asking ourselves, Jesus, are you able to, are you good enough? Are you big enough? Are you sufficient enough to fix these problems? How am I to look to the need of my own brother and I don't have enough to give? Some of us do. And I think that Jesus demonstrates that as long as we look to him, he will always move our hearts to look to our brothers and sisters that are in need. In our body and outside of the body. So their care for their personal rest and privacy should not exceed their care for those 
that are in need. And that's the physical and the spiritual need that we see. Here's our next point. Because Jesus, when he does the miracle, we have to watch that this miracle is done in order to increase their faith. Point two is Christ's compassion for us should increase our faith. In order for the disciples to effectively minister, they must have faith in Jesus Christ. That's the obvious. So in order for them to to serve all of these people, they had to believe in Jesus. But listen to how it affects both of them. Because what does Jesus tell them to do? Those that they may have not thought that he could provide, he told them to have everybody sit down. Everybody, and we see this happen in Acts. Everyone sit down in groups of 50. So he has them participating. Because what does it do when you serve? Not only those that you serve are affected like in a life-changing sense, but you are also affected as well in a life-changing uh, sense. Uh, a couple of stats that I thought about as I was preparing this is that in the city of Memphis, you know that we are ranked top five for charitable giving. I was in a meeting the other day, and then he mentioned that not only we rank top five for charitable giving, but we're ranked 48th amongst the nation in terms of volunteerism. Essentially, what it says is we give our resources, but we don't give our time. The matter in terms of being compassionate is to be incarnational. And when we see this, even in our own society, you may say, well, why we may not have the resources? I, I beg to differ. It was in a commercial appeal just a couple weeks ago where the article said that Memphis compared to Nashville and the Davidson County, Memphis and Shelby County combined, has more wealth in the city than Nashville and Davidson County. In 2015, they recorded that it was $6.5 billion compared to $5.5 billion. Mike, what does that mean in terms of our faith? God has blessed us. As long as we entrust him with our resources and our time, he will provide the increase. Remember, when we realize that the person in the work of Christ is sufficient, he compels our hearts by the compassion. Because the disciples, their lack of faith to feed the 5,000, what they missed is, is that not only was God going to feed those 5,000 men, but the women and children that were also accounted for were going to have food as well. So he did not only enough, but he did more than enough because he has the power and authority to. Why could they understand that after he had already healed the centurion servant? Why couldn't they understand it after he's already done a miracle with the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus' daughter? Why couldn't they understand it when he's given them the ability to cast out demons and to proclaim the kingdom of God and to Heal the sick. Are y'all tracking with me? We understand that the miracle, I want y'all to get this. The miracle, though that may have amazed them, it still didn't move them. Though that they may have been impacted and amazed by what God was doing, they still didn't understand who he was. Jesus holding those five loaves and the two fish in heaven pronounces a blessing. 
Now we can talk about how the imagery points back to Exodus 16 and where the children of Israel, as they were uh, leaving the exile, left in the desert, what did they say? <laughs> you mean to tell me you're going to kill us? Out in the desert? Brother Pharaoh would have fed us some meat and some bread. Again, not even the children of Israel, after seeing God bring them out of Egypt, part the water, could understand that he was not only enough to bring them through the wilderness, but he can bring manna from heaven. Which points me just to see that God doesn't just satisfy them. He does more for them. And as the disciples see this, they take these baskets, these huge baskets with them. And as they do more, I want you all to pay attention to this. He asks them in the next paragraph, who does the crowd say that I am? And then he asks them, who do you say that I am? And Peter answers, Christ, the Christ of God. Finally recognizing who Jesus actually is. The miracle demonstrates this, brothers and sisters. That Christ is the promised deliverer. The Messiah that was always to come. For them, they looked for economic freedom. They looked for military power. They looked to be free from oppression. But what Jesus was trying to show them that you have a cosmic restoration, a kingdom of God that will come one day. Long for that and not for the moment. As you have compassion on brothers and sisters in our communities, allow your faith to move you. Here's a good picture of it. My neighbor, her son was killed and murdered just a couple months ago. And in my mind, I was thinking, Memphis would just see this as another number to toll on the death toll. But yet, I see a grieving mother who's lost her 17-year-old son. But when she says this, I hope that the young person that killed my son comes to know Jesus. My mind is blown away because she sees past the fact that she wants revenge and understands that there is a greater need for that person. This is what the gospel moves us to, brothers and sisters. That what we see in our communities should not necessarily be another toll or something else that we speak down about, but move our hearts in order for us to figure out ways to serve our community, ways in which our faith can be increased because he is the one that can provide as long as he is with us. So, yes, he does more and he does exceedingly. And, yes, he, the question can be answered that how do we live this out? We live this out understanding that we're moved and compelled by the compassion that's been, been shared upon us. And we're moved and compelled because we have faith not in our own efforts, but in what Christ has already done. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you and we bless you. 
because you are a God that moves our hearts and our minds to understand that what you are doing within our own hearts is moving our hearts to love you, to love the people, to love when it is very hard, to always seek the need of others when it is so difficult for us to, to place their needs above our own. Lord, you remind us that the compassion that you had on us is one that can save lives. So we know that your miracles are just miracles, but they demonstrate a reality of your saving grace. For it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.